0: message for the children is really relevant to us all. And I hope that you, you didn't just pass it on as a children's story this evening. But our lives are very kind of pointless unless we, and you see why the world, you know, their, their lives are so, um, they have no purpose. It is because they are not carrying out what God's purposes for them and that is to to live for him. I my message this evening, it's all right. Well, I'll get back on in a minute. I've entitled it What makes what makes you tick? What makes you tick? And that, the question I have for you in, in reference to that is, do you have any idols in your life? Do you have any idols, oh, actually, I'm gonna put this one, sorry, do you have any idols in your life? And you may say to me, oh, really, idols? I mean, come on, Jason. But I'd like to, us to really consider if there's a possibility this evening that you may have an idol in your life. There was a man, when I was growing up, I lived at the corner of 16th and Fairview Streets. And he would, I think I have it on for you. And he would, he would get out of his car and he would walk to the, uh, walk, he had, a, he had a, probably about a 19, I'm going to say, um, 90s something Honda Accord. No, actually first he had a Chevy Citation. Anybody remember a Chevy Chevy Citation. That was the first car he had. You guys remember that. You guys, young guys, don't even know what a Citation is. It was a cool car. Not really. But he had a Chevy Citation, and he would get out of that car, and he would walk around the car, and he would look at his car, and he would walk around it, and then he would get his key, and he would walk around, and he would pluck out. Let's see if I can get this back on what I want. And then he would pluck out. Maybe I need somebody who's good at computers here. Yeah, let's see here. I don't have two screens, one up here, but maybe come on up here, brother. there They said when they they kicked Satan out of a heaven, he it, he went into sound systems and powerpoints, and I'll let you do your thing. I'll keep talking about. It. Anyways, this guy would pick would pick out the stuff out of his tires, and. I um, mean he just he he then he would walk to the end of the street which was like like a 100 yards away and he'd stand there and he'd look at his car and he'd look at his car and he'd look at his car and then he'd walk a little f- farther down the, the and look at his car and look at his car and then that car he got rid of that car and then I, I said he got a Honda Accord and he did the same thing to that thing poked out the walked around poked out and I I guess that car was his I mean it seemed to be pretty much his idol still searching right smart computer man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. There we go. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. What well, makes you tick? Do you have any idols? We'll catch up here. Um, and so I'm asking you the question this evening. If you honestly look at your life this evening, is there a possibility that there's something in your life that is uh, uh, an idol? Is, there, is it remotely possible that we actually have idols in our life? What does the Bible say about this? Let's look at this. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Another verse from 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world passes away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. All right. From Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So you must love God with everything. There is no, just according to these small uh, scriptures that we took here, a small section of scriptures, we realize that there is no room for idols in the life of a a believer. And I'm going to read you something from David. I don't know if you're familiar with David Platt. He read this to his church on a Sunday morning. In reference to sports and idolatry and i'm going to read this maybe this doesn't resonate with you it kind of resonates with me because i like sports but maybe something else in your life you can place in this sports uh, thing in your life and you can say well maybe that maybe this applies to me listen to this this is what he read imagine for a moment that you live in another country one completely foreign to this one you have an opportunity one fall to spend a week in birmingham so you come one sunday morning and you observe many people most, maybe even most, slowly rising to make their way to a building they call a church. They groggily approach that building for some sort of ceremony. Clearly what is happening at the beginning of that ceremony isn't that important because most of the people don't come until it's after it started. You watch them file in and begin to mouth the words to songs, many of them almost expressionless, virtually emotionless, after which they sit down and passively passively listen to someone talk to them for a period of time. You notice people starting to get a bit fidgety, uneasy at the time for the ceremony at the time for the ceremony to end approaches. And when it's finally over, they quickly walk out. As they walk as you walk out with them, you listen to them and you hear many of them talking with one another about something that happened the previous day. They smile and laugh as they recount another ceremony they had been to that was already a, that was apparently a bit more interesting than this one. A ceremony that apparently happens on Saturdays. In fact, the rest of the week, that's almost all you hear people talking about. The coming Saturday ceremony. Even the people who are at the Sunday ceremony are strangely silent about what they heard and sang about, but are very enthusiastic about the Saturday ceremony. They can't seem to get enough. As your curiosity is peaked, you begin to eagerly anticipate the coming Saturday. Saturday comes and you see the people wake up and leave their houses dressed in some sort of outfit that they love to wear for these types of days. Many of them drive out of the city, some an hour west, others a couple hours south, where they gather together on what they call hallowed grounds for the Saturday ceremony. They get there early for this ceremony, way early, where they eat and drink and laugh and play, not with just their family or with their friends, but even with complete strangers. You've never seen community like this. When the time comes, they all, tens of thousands of them, enter a shrine together. You can't think of it. You can't, you can't think of another word for it. Where they raise their voices with passion to applaud an assembly of children they don't even know playing a game on a field. As the game begins, they shout and chant and sing until they virtually lose their voices. With far more passion than in the previous Sunday's ceremony, for sure people don't look at their watches at this ceremony they're engulfed in what they're seeing experiencing that they actually and experiencing that they actually get excited when it goes into what they call overtime because going long like this is a sign of a really exciting game and the fun doesn't end after the ceremony is over anyway when the boys everyone has been cheering for the win for the win I'm sorry. And the fun doesn't even end after the ceremony is over anyway. When the boys, everyone has been cheering for the win to win the game. The celebration has only begun. And the amazing thing is that it's not just the people who are in the ceremony who are celebrating. You come to find that thousands and thousands of others stayed back in Birmingham to watch the game on a TV. Though many of them are large enough to be virtual movie screens, they actually designed them that way to, to to make the most of watching the ceremonies like this. And back in Birmingham, scores of people have circled up together around their screens to be part of the ceremony from a distance. They too in their homes are jumping up and down, high-fiving each other, celebrating the ceremony when it's over. And then when it's all over, late in the evening, almost as if there's nothing to be prayed for the next day, they go to bed. Let me ask you a question. If you were that visitor from another country, and you came to this city during a week in the fall, I would ask you honestly, I would ask you to honestly answer this question. Which would you identify as a religion that is most important to these people? Now, for some of us, that hits a little hard, right? You understand what was happening here. Somebody came to this country and observed these people. One was going to a sporting event, and one was going to church. Now, I said it might not resonate with you about sports. But maybe there is something, I want you to look introspectively into your life and see, is there something in my life that I am so, that I become so passionate about? Maybe it's hunting. Maybe it's restoring old cars. Maybe it's fixing up houses. I, I, I don't know what it is in your life. But I want you to think about it, and I want you to prayerfully consider, could there be something in my life Tim Keller states in his book, counterfeit gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagine, and imagination more than God. Someone else said this, what is an idol? It is a thing loved or a person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. Could there be any of those things in our lives? It could be a girlfriend, it could be good grades, it could be approval of other people, it could be success in business, it could be sexual stimulation, it could be a hobby or a musical group, or someone you're following in sports, or maybe it's your immaculate yard. I say this evening, what consumes your thoughts here this evening? Quietly consider it yourself. What consumes my thoughts? What consumes your thoughts? Paul Washer said, "This the thing that most consumes your thoughts is your God." Ouch. The thing that most consumes you—you so you thought about that thing that consumes your thoughts. Paul Washer. Now, Paul Washer's not God. I don't know if you know anything about Paul Washer. He's a—he's a Baptist evangelist who's very bold, and he'll say, "I mean, go he, watch a Paul a Washer uh, a sermon, and you you will get—you'll get lit up." The thing that most consumes your thoughts is your God. Now, listen to me. There are good things. There are good things, good things, I say, that can become your God. I don't think there's anything wrong with playing a game of football or watching a game of football. But there are some people that become so passionate about it. Listen to me. Uh, maybe I'll, st- I i do not know you guys at all, so I, I feel like I can talk freely. There are some people I know that hunting is like, I mean, you don't mess with their hunting. It is like I mean, it is like, sometimes I wonder, man, like, is it your God? And that's me from the outside. I, I go hunting about three times so I can pound the pulpit on hunting and it doesn't affect me. But, but sports, this, that, that there, that, that speaks to me. That's convicting to me. You will look like what you worship. You will look like what you worship. This is truer than you want to admit. Just look at someone's house or garage. You can usually tell what they worship. You think that guy's a Cowboys fan? You look like what you worship. I'm guessing that guy's a pretty passionate Eagles fan. Now, I like the Eagles. It was a pretty bad season. All right, We're not gonna really talk football here tonight. But you know, you know what's important to that guy by, what he, by his house. It bleeds their passion. I ask you the question here tonight, what is seen by others in your life? What would your neighbor say that you're passionate about? The people who know you the most, if they're honest with you, what would they say like, yeah. This is what they're this is what you're passionate about. Maybe your neighbor who doesn't, you know, doesn't know you real well, but he observes your life. He, does he say, "Man, that guy, he's so passionate about his yard." Dude, his yard is his. You ever see those guys who are just like, "Man, they're they're like, I mean, they're you and I don't like beautiful green yards, don't get me wrong, but I mean, their yard is like, maybe, maybe, maybe your neighbor would say, dude, his yard is, that, that's it. What are some of the common idols that you know, we face today? Maybe it's money, entertainment, sports, even movies, shows. Maybe it's comfort, technology, job status, people-pleasing even. Family, relationships, sex, hobbies. I'd like to ask these three questions tonight. Do I love or treasure anything or anyone more than God? Do I prioritize anything or anyone more than before God? Does anything bring me more pleasure than the things of God? Listen to that last one. That should, that should like really kind of poke at you a little bit. Does anything bring me more pleasure than the things of God? Monday night, Monday night we had a basketball game. I, I told some of you guys that I coach basketball. I love to coach basketball. I love the game of basketball. And we played our, our biggest rival in the area. And i, I got to brag on my son. He's probably going to wither down there. He hit four big three-pointers in that game. And when he hit those three-pointers, dude, I was like, yeah! Ouch. You know? And I was, I was fired up. I was so excited, but I, I said to, I said, man, I had to think about: Does anything bring me more pleasure than the things of God? And sometimes I have to, I have to really consider those things. I'd like to tell you, I'd like to look at the uh, um, the children of Israel, and we're going to pick, we're going to pick a couple things of um, that led to um, their idolatry. The path of idolatry. So the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai. All right. This is about three months after leaving Egypt. And God has done so much for them. Okay, God has done so much for them. He parted the Red Sea, and you name it, God did it for it. And Moses is going to ascend the mountain about eight times in this period in, in Exodus here. And he's going to receive instructions and laws for the Israelites. They're going to receive the promise. If they obey, they're going to be a, a, tr- you know, a treasured possession of God. Um, Moses at one point is going to go up and ask for the for mercy for them, and so he's going up the, up the mountain and back a few times. And on ascent six, okay, the sixth time up the mountain, Moses, Moses again is summoned to ascend Mount Sinai. This time, in addition, he's supposed to take uh, Aaron and Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu and seven of the elders of Israel with him. And so Moses builds this altar and. He reads the book of the covenant, covenant, the laws that God had given Moses previously. He reads them to the children of Israel and they, they thunderously say, we will obey. All right. This is a sent three. He's you know, and you know, the children of Israel heard what, he, uh, what God has given them and said, we will obey. And then Moses and Aaron and Nate, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders ascend the mountain and, and they come to a place and finally God says, okay, you guys stay here and Moses, you come on up with me. And so Moses goes up, and during this time, God gives Moses the the, the Ten Commandments written on tablets, and um, he also gives Moses instructions how to build the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and the altar, and gives uh, special instructions on priestly garments and uh, their consecration, and he talks about the Sabbath. And so he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and the children of Israel are down there, And they are starting to get antsy. All right? And and I'd like to read a little bit from Exodus here. Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, It's so wimpy here. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and the sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, he melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feastings and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I command. Forty days and forty nights. Remember, they had just just said, we will obey. They just got all this instruction. They said, yeah, we're going to obey. How quickly, verse 8 there, how quickly they have turned away from what I've commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and they bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. He said, why are you so angry with your people who brought you from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a, let the Egyptians say, their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them off the face of the earth. Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about their terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give them all of this land that I forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he, was, he had threatened to his people. Then Moses held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. And they were inscribed on them. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noises, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory, nor of the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them on the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it, and then ground it into powder and threw it into the water and forced them to drink it. Children, there's a little picture of what it might have looked like. There's Moses. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to make, you such, to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it. Here he's being foolish. I simply threw it in the fire and bam, out came a calf. Moses saw that Aaron had let the, people com- let the people get completely out of control, much to the amazement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and shouted, all who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each of you, take your swords. Go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 died that day. How did they get to this place? How did they get to this place in such a short amount of time? They were... They got really silly and foolish. I say, how do we get to a place in our lives where we take God off the throne and we become serving idols? The path of idolatry. They became restless. I'm going to have about four or five points here. The path of idolatry. They became restless and did not wait on God. Maybe they were just sitting around there waiting for Moses. Listen to me. When people are not busy... When people are not busy doing God's work, they usually become become consumed with themselves or consumed with other people's problems. So I ask you the question, in order for the path of idolatry to be broken in your life, are you busy in God's work? You know, when people are not busy in God's work and they they look self-centered and they're doing their own thing, oftentimes they start serving themselves. And so the path of idolatry, number one, is they became restless and they did not wait on the Lord. So I challenge you to be busy in the work of God. From Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When you understand what the will of of God is in your life, you will use your time wisely. Listen God is first, God is first, and everything else should fall into place. Sometimes it's like this. And maybe, maybe the pastor will say amen here. It's, you know what, my life, and then it's the things of God. It's church, it's, you know, prayer meeting, it's, you know, things of, of God. But it should be reversed. It's God first. And then everything falls in line after that. And so the path of idolatry starts when we become restless and we don't wait on the Lord. We don't use our, our time wisely. We, we don't understand what the will of God is. For our lives. And so I asked you this, mo- this this evening, are you involved in God's in the kingdom work? Are you involved in your own work? Are you is is there is there things that are that are more important to you than God's kingdom? Sex and parting. When we allow our flesh instead of our spirit to control our actions and rule, we cannot be led by our feelings. Okay, the path of idolatry starts when we're our heart, which is evil, and push against our feelings and do what is daytime. time. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Put things in front of God when you are controlled by your fleshly lust. Okay? When you don't... word. They had already gotten all this instruction. Okay, they had already got all this instruction and they decided, you know what? We know better. God had already given them all this instruction. When we decide to do our life our way and make our own roles, we are telling God that we know better, We and then we are now God. Listen to me. You are not the boss of your life. Again, God has given us instruction. This is the guidebook for your life. This is the boss of your life. Okay? The Word of God. When they showed a disregard for the Word of God, when they said, you know what, we, we, we don't care what, 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 what God gave us, things got really messy. I used to have this shirt when I was younger. It said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I think that should be almost the attitude of our heart. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. If that's not the attitude of our heart, many times we will follow down a path of idolatry. They showed a disregard for God's word. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but in the end, the way is, is to death. Psalms 119, 105. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God leads us, guides us. Another on the path, what happened in the path of idolatry was weak leadership. Listen to this when Aaron. People pleasing Aaron. I mean, this guy was just a a coward. Verse 32 says this. When the people saw how long it was taking Aaron to come back down, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And at that point. So Aaron, so Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, sons, and daughters, and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel! These are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he, brought, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be the festival. Talk about weak leadership. Aaron saw how excited they were at what had happened, and he said, oh, you know what, let's, let's build an altar. Weak leadership. Good fuel for idolatry in the life of a family, in the life of a church, in the life of a school, in the life of a community, is weak leadership. We need to speak truth. It is loving It is loving to call sin, sin. Vody Bachman, another guy I like to listen to, he said, you know what, sometimes we, preachers get up and they, they apologize for five minutes about what they're going to talk about, and then they, they talk about what they're going to talk about, and then at the end they kind of apologize for saying what they said. Weak leadership. We must was, we was not cave to social pressures. Truth is the truth, and truth is the truth at any cost. Listen to me, the church, the world is caving. They're caving at all, at many different different spectrums. It, it I, I cannot believe my, my my heart rate and my my blood pressure boils when I see people in the church, pastors standing on, on pulpits and saying that. It is okay to be to be a homosexual, and it's okay to be a pastor and a homosexual. I want to scream, but truth is truth is is under attack, and that will lead the weak leadership will lead into a path of idolatry. Years ago, I uh, I watched the movie Courageous, and I don't know what you think about the movie Courageous. You know, maybe it's bad acting and you know all that, but you know what? There is a speech at the end of that, that movie that was really good. And I'm going to read you that, that speech here this evening. And it's talking about men rising up. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there and providing for them, he is to walk with them through their lives and be a visual rep- representation of the character of God father in heaven a father should love his children and seek to win their hearts he should protect them and discipline them and teach them about god he should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect and should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it but i tell you that as a father you are accountable to god for the position of influence he has given you You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job and your hobbies have no eternal value but the souls of your children do. Talk about idolatry right there. Some some men, their hobbies and their job is is, is, is the idol in their life. And he says, you can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job and your hobbies have no eternal value, but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste an opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who, regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not for us, did not do for us, will give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who, who have no father in their lives but who have desperately need help and direction. We are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility. It is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you, men of courage? Where are you, fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you and to say, I will, I will, I will. Men, if, if our families are going to place God on the throne of our families, and the thr- we need to lead and we need, it needs to start with us. Weak leadership, you see it all the time. I, I've, been, I've, I've, I've been part of a school or been associated with, with a school. Weak leadership makes messy, and, and families that, that don't place God on, on the highest place. But men, families who have godly men, and who are strong men, and courageous men, and committed men, you know what? their families. They're beautiful, and, and you can tell that God is the most important thing in that home. We see Aaron's weak leadership and see what happened in just simply 40 days he could have stood up and said no we're not doing this we're not doing this we're not making an idol and sometimes men we need to say no family no maybe not, not quite that like sometimes we need to get a little bull but in a gentle leadership loving leadership servant leadership way no this family we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna honor God first in our lives Regardless of what maybe this family is doing over here, regardless of what, what is happening here at maybe church, what, regardless of what the school is doing, we're going to stand and we're going to lead. Quickly moving on the path of idolatry, they replaced God. They took God off the throne and put a God or themselves there. Are there ways that God has been replaced in your life? The time that you, you should be spending in God's word, were in prayer, or now spent on your phone. Could that be an idol in your life? They replaced God. Is there things in your life that you have replaced God with that are now more important? That was the path of idolatry there. They replaced God. They took God down and they, put, they made this, this golden calf. And we do the same in our lives. We replace God with things. The time leading your family and family worship is now replaced with you or them watching something or playing a video game. I'm just going to make this guess because this is, I I, I say this shamefully, that in my life, individual and family Bible reading probably has gone down in my generation than the previous generation. I don't know, maybe it's not that way, but in in my house at seven o'clock, we were down around the table and my, my, my dad was leading family worship. I'm not that good at it. I confess to you. But there is sometimes, maybe not at 7 o'clock in the morning, but at 7 o'clock in the evening, you know what I'm doing? I might be on my phone. I might be doing something frivolous. I might be watching a, a funny YouTube video. And you know what it's replacing? Quality time in the Word with my family. I, I, I just confess that to you this evening. I'm, I'm, sometimes that happens. And I'm replacing God. And I ask you this evening, is there anything in your life that you have, you have you, you, that you picked up and you're replacing God in, the path of idolatry? Paul Washer says this, how much time do you invest in extracurricular activities with your children and how much time you invest in your children regarding godliness? If you think about it, in, in your life as a as a father here or as a parent here, how much time are you investing in extracurricular activities? Your money is spent on your own toys rather maybe this is this is a way you replace God. Your money is spent on your own toys rather than giving to ministry opportunities. You know, there is so many so many opportunities for us. We're wealthy people, whether you have a I mean, we we, we got we have money. And we're gonna spend we're gonna spend our money in some way, all right? We're either going to spend our money on our own little kingdom or on God's kingdom. And are we replacing God by spending our money on ourselves? So I ask you this evening, are there any things in your life that you're holding in too high of a position? Yes, in other words, do you have an idol in your life? Just think, think honestly. Think. I want you to really think Honestly. I say this this evening, expose your idol or your idol will expose you. Expose your idol or your idol will expose you. Shane Eidelman said that. Are you willing to ask Jesus this question? What changes need to happen in my heart? What behavior needs to change for God to be, be number one? If God has spoken to you this evening, I, 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 I encourage you to kill the idol. Luke nine twenty three through 26. And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses it or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's time for you, if you recognize an idol, to kill the idol. Are you willing to crush that idol? Are you willing to start to reprioritize your life? And you know what? So so many times we get fooled by, by I I think, I think that, you know what? This is going to satisfy me or this is going to satisfy me. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a position where like, man, if I, if I just get that, then, then things are going to be good? If, if, if um, the Eagles win the Super Bowl, man, it's going to bring me some happiness. And the Eagles win the Super Bowl, and you're like, eh, okay. Nothing satisfies. No idol satisfies. And my last point is here, I'm going to jump ahead, is meet life's true satisfier. Meet life's true satisfaction. There is only one thing, there is only one thing in this world that can meet your heart's need. And that is Jesus Christ. From John 4, 13 through 15, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give, him, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Many times, you know what? I wonder if I really believe that, that Jesus really satisfies. Do I live my life? Does the world look at me and say, you know what? That guy guy does believe what Jesus says, that Jesus truly satisfies. Or they say, man, he's always pursuing something. He's always pursuing something. I hope that as they look at me, that they see a man who is pursuing God. My prayer is, God, grow my faith in you today. Take away the thirst for the things of this world. Help me love you more. And so if, if there, it may be, as we look back at the path of idolatry there, if there's patterns that you need to change in your life, if you've not been a leader, if you've, you know, all kinds of different, um, things that have led to a path of idolatry. And you need to change some of them. You become restless. You're controlled by your fleshly desires. You have a disregard or a disbelief for God's word. What you, the way you live out your life, you, you, yeah, you, know, you understand the word of God and you kind of believe it, but you, you disregard it by the way you live out your life. Maybe there's some things that you need to change. You replace God. And God is not in the highest position of your heart. I'm going to prayerfully ask you to consider that this evening we're gonna we're gonna bow our heads we're not gonna have an invitation but i'm gonna invite you to pray privately and quietly if there's anything that god brought to your attention that you invite the holy spirit to say you know what i did think of something that you know what is pretty much a priority in my life we're i'm just gonna it's, i'm just gonna we're gonna be quiet before god I'm gonna, I'm gonna i'm gonna let the spirit work in your life If there's anything in your life that you need to you need to surrender and say you know what this I recognize this. Maybe maybe they're not. Maybe there's nothing in your life. So let's just quiet our hearts for a little bit, and then I'm going to close with a word of prayer. God, as we're, we're quiet before your spirit tonight, I recognize that there are times in my own life that things move to the throne of my heart and it's not you. And I seek satisfaction from things that I know will, I I really know that will never satisfy. And God, I pray that I would be careful. I know that you're a jealous God. I know that you're a jealous God. And that you want all of my praise and all of my honor and all of my glory. Forgive me, God, for when I when I pursue things that I think are going to satisfy. And God, I pray that I would put you back on the the pinnacle of my heart, and you would be first. And God, I pray that there, if there is anyone here tonight that that has things in their life um, that they have that are that they feel are prior, that they are prioritizing over you, Lord, they would be willing to kill the idol and to take it to you and give it up and put you first. And Lord, thank you that you are the true satisfier. And when we do experience you, we do feel fullness and we feel security and we feel peace. And so God, I pray that we would pursue you here this evening. Thank you so much for being a God who is worthy to be worshipped. Thank you for a God who is loving us even when we fail and forgiving us. So we invite you to continue to work in our hearts. Draw us closer to you. God, purify our hearts. Take, I, I invite you to strip away the world from us, that we would become more of a reflection of you and that you would receive so much honor from our lives. And that the world around us would be so drawn to you because they would see a reflection of you in us. So I invite you to slowly pick away at the things. Continue to point to things out in my life and in the lives of these, these people here in the next weeks, maybe that there's something that maybe they need to give up to draw their heart closer to you. Thank you again for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.